Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. And this is the sermon from this morning, August 20th. It's based on the gifts passage in 1 Corinthians 12, and the sermon title is accordingly, Many Gifts. Please remain standing from the reading from Paul's epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week... I gave you sort of a quick rundown on an introduction to the book of Corinthians, which is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. We learned that Corinth was a large cosmopolitan city, one of the most important in ancient Greece, and that the city of Corinth took great pride in the artistic adornment of its many temples, as well as being a city where a whole variety of religions, pagan, Jewish, and Christian, all tried to coexist. The reason that Paul is focusing here on Christians all being part of one body, but still having different functions and gifts within it, is because of the strong pagan culture that's around it. As you may know, in the Greek and Roman pagan traditions, every gift had its own god or goddess. If you needed wisdom, you went to the temple of Athena. You needed love, you went to Aphrodite. If you needed greater hunting skills, you went to Artemis. You needed to be better at poetry and music, you go to Apollo, and on and on it goes. Paul is trying to show a pagan culture how Christian faith is different. In this faith, he's saying, there's just one God. But you haven't lost out because that one God can do all of those things together and can dispense all the gifts that there are to be given. And there's a second point. In pagan culture, it was assumed that if you just figured out the right offering and what would please the god of 
whichever thing you needed, that you would then receive that blessing and receive that gift. And Paul is telling them that the God revealed in Jesus has a different agenda. Nobody gets all the gifts. It's not about just bringing the right offering to the right place. Nobody gets all the gifts, and that's by design. We only have all the gifts when we are together as a body. It's sort of a plot by God to make sure that we get together and we work together as a people. Christian faith is not a lone ranger, I can do everything myself kind of religion. In Christian faith, we see ourselves as all together being part of God's body. Each part of that body has a different function and is gifted accordingly. It's fundamentally and literally a corporate effort. It's not every believer for herself, but all of us together. This is something that transcends class and race. Paul said back in verse 13, For in the one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of the one spirit. In a sense, Paul is reversing the pagan system. It's not one believer trying to please many gods in order to receive different gifts. It's one God at work through many believers who are given different gifts to do the work of God in the world. Well, that's interesting information, you say, but we're not pagans anymore. Well, actually, there is a resurgence of pagan religions in our day and age, but that's not the primary reason that I think we need to hear this passage. We need to hear it because we live in a fiercely competitive society that can make us think that we do, in fact, need to have all the gifts to be worth something. Whatever you think about capitalism and free trade, you can't get away from the fact that they're founded on competition. Maybe good, maybe bad, but that's, that's what we are. We're a competitive society. The ones with the skills and the know-how and the money to put those assets to work get ahead. The slower ones fall behind, whether they be individuals or nations. And more than that, we see that the culture values some gifts more than other ones. I have a cousin who, when he was in his late 20s, invented one of the machines that helps in the cleaning of blood when you're having open-heart surgery. Don't ask me which one. It's not one of my gifts. <laughs> but he did that. He had only an associate's degree, but suddenly that invention pushed him way up the corporate ladder and suddenly catapulted him into a very large salary. Of course, when that happened, our family was really pleased for him. On the home front, we were struggling to make ends meet after my father's death. And I'll never forget my mother, who had a master's degree and had been teaching children, actually even teaching my cousin, for 30 years, look at her salary and say, I wonder where I went wrong. What's the matter with this picture? Now, my cousin certainly earned his salary, and it was right to recognize his achievement. But the point is that as a society, we value certain achievements more than others. And since some of the most difficult jobs, like raising a child or caring for an aging parent, cost a fortune and earn no income at all, many people worry that they don't have the skills that they need to be of value today. 
Worse, they believe they don't have the intellect or the ability to get the skills they need because of the very particular things that we value in our world. The final months of my senior year in college were filled with anxiety for all of us. What are we going to do now? Are we going to go to graduate school? Are we going to go back and work? If so, what are we going to get for a job? How are we going to support ourselves? You need experience to get a job. You need a job to get experience, that whole thing. And we were nervous. I had a lot of friends in the math and science fields, and I remember them nervously pacing around because the highest job offer they had was $15,000 a year which seemed to be the going rate back in 1980 for a bachelor's degree in math or science. Silly me. I thought listening to them, okay, I can expect about $15,000 a year when I graduate. Nobody prepared me for the fact that my first full-time 40-hour-a-week job with a bachelor's degree in German and English from the same university would earn me a whopping $6,500 a year. We value some skills more than others. And these days, having certain types of skills and certain levels of intelligence can make the difference between living the American dream and falling into poverty. And so for us, Paul's message, I think, comes both as a comfort and as a challenge. The comfort is the message that I relayed to two different people for two different reasons just this past week. You are perfectly skilled and gifted for the work that God has called you to do. You are perfectly gifted for the work that God has called you to do. It's God who gives all gifts. And God has gifted every person in this room according to your particular place in the body of Christ. We need never, ever worry that we don't have what it takes to do the work of God. Whatever it is that God has called us to do, God has given us the gifts, abilities, and opportunities to do it. As Mordecai says to Esther at the time of her opportunity that Dave read, and I hope you will read through the book of Esther, it's just a great little book, God has put her in the position as queen for just such a time as this. She's perfectly gifted. She's given the opportunity so that at the right time, she's there to save her people. Now, that's not to say that some skills don't need to be honed or that we don't need education and training, but it's honing and training in gifts we already possess. We might need to work on those skills. We might need to work on our self-discipline or other things related to the execution of those skills. But we've got what it takes and when we decide to get serious, God will make a way. That's a huge comfort in a culture that seems always to be insisting that we're not quite good enough the way we are. But there's also a challenge and a call to justice for the church. We are the body of Christ. As Paul says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. While as a culture it seems to be every person for themselves, Paul reminds us that the church is countercultural. We're not like, we operate under a different system than the world does. 
Here we recognize that all have worth and that all skills and abilities are equally needed in the body of which we are all a part. I said that to somebody once who said, yeah, right, I'm the appendix in the body of Christ. <laughs> But there are to be no distinctions between class and race. The eye has no business trying to kick the ear out of the body. It's not only rude, it's dumb. It harms the body. For example, most of the time we don't think about our thyroid gland. But if it suddenly quits doing its job, we realize how much it actually has been doing there in the background. And if it has to be removed, the body has to take pills for the rest of its life to make up for it. But as important as the thyroid gland is, it makes a darn poor arm. It's the job of the church to be sure that everybody can find and recognize their own part in the body of Christ. One of the ways we're starting to recognize that here is by enrolling in a program by Steve, called Stephen Ministry. And you'll be hearing more about that. Bev Welsh and Bonnie Oliphant have just returned from a week in Pittsburgh to learn how to train people in our congregation to be caring listeners who can provide specifically Christian care for people who are going through a rough time, both here and outside our walls. Sometimes churches think that only pastors have the skills to do that, but that's not true. In fact, sometimes pastors are a whole lot worse at that than a lot of people in the congregation. The gift of caring, compassionate listening is a gift that comes from God, not from seminary. And God gives it out to people without regard for their education, ordination, wealth, or status. If a pastor or a church leader tries to do all of it, the rest of the body can go limp with disuse. We all need to find the particular gifts that we've been given and our own role in the body. But then we need to be sure that we don't place a super value on some gifts and little value on others. And we need to have systems in place that assure that those with gifts in a particular area have the freedom and the opportunity to use them. The fundamental principle in the church is not competition, but cooperation. It's not every person for themselves. It's all of us together as one body. There is no position in the church, including the pastor, that has a more important function than any other. If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. If so much as one of us refuses our calling or tries to be more or less than we've been gifted to be, the body is out of whack. If the lymph nodes are trying to be eyes and the arms keep slapping the legs because they don't act more like arms, we're going to have a rough time doing anything at all as a body. So let the teachers teach. Let those with deep compassion visit the distressed. Let those filled with physical energy do the legwork. And let those with clear vision move us forward. Don't make those who are gifted in support chair committees or put those who are good at counting and analyzing trees in charge of the vision for the forest. Let each of us find our role in the body of Christ and fill it with joy so that God may be glorified, not only in our individual lives, but in our life together as a church. And let us recognize the value of every gift, even though some of those gifts may not be greatly valued in our culture.
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Find your role in the body and do it for the glory of God. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. I'd love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at Thanks again for subscribing and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Thank you.